good to be together. It's always good to see uh, these kids uh, leaving. I, I, I'm so thankful that we have uh, so many kids that are a part of our church that get to be with us uh, in for worship uh, for a, a period of time. We know that their brains work a little different than ours, and uh, they receive teaching a little bit different, so we like to be able to kind of have the best of both worlds. But I want to remind you, I don't do this probably enough, but I want to remind you that they are in here with us for worship and uh, they're watching us, uh, and we are modeling for them what it looks like to be worshipers. Uh, and for those of us who are parents, they're not just watching us on Sunday morning, they're watching us Monday through Sunday. Uh, but for the rest of you, um, this is an opportunity for you to model worship uh, to our youngest members uh, and for them to see what does it look like uh, to truly be a worshiper in a worship service. And so uh, just know that. Be aware that little eyes are watching you and, uh, and be engaged um, even as we worship together. Um, I am so thankful to see all of you. If, if you're a regular here and you've been coming here for years and years and years, I'm glad to see you. Uh, there are some of you who are guests with us today. Grateful to see you. So thankful the Lord has brought you here this day. Um, and for those of you who are watching online, uh, we're, we're thankful for this technology. Uh, we believe that this is a good gift from God, but we also know that there's something wonderful about being together. And I just want to personally invite you uh, to be here when you can. Um, and I know there are times you can't be, and I know there are some of you who are still checking us out online. Uh, but I just want to encourage you to take that next step and be here together because there is just something different about being together in this space. And uh, we're grateful for the technology, uh, but I want to encourage you to like take the step to be here uh, and be with us. And uh, we look forward to getting to know you, those of you uh, who are new. This is our, our third week in this series of living with hope and optimism in an age of fear and pessimism. And the reality is, is we just, we know this, um, we live in a culture that is driving us to fear and pessimism. I mean, it is, it's just driving and pushing us to be full of fear and to be full of pessimism all the time, whether it's uh, the news and social media and conversations that we have. We're just being driven uh, into fear and pessimism, but we have a God who lovingly invites us. He doesn't drive us. He lovingly invites us to a different lifestyle, to a, a life that isn't a life filled with fear and pessimism, but is a life filled with hope and optimism. And, and he just invites us in, and we're just exploring that together. And so uh, two weeks ago, we talked about the reasons to be optimistic uh, and really, the, the number one reason to be optimistic is our biggest problem has been solved. Um, and when we put everything into perspective, that um, our biggest problem is the fact that we rebelled against the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. God said, I want you to go this way. And we went, no, I'm not interested. I want to go this way. And, and we, we rebelled against the King of Kings. And, and the consequences of that rebellion is separation from God. And because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, because of the grace that was extended to us, not because of what we've done, but because of what he's done, we have forgiveness and grace made available to us. And so many of us in this room, uh, many of you online, you've already experienced uh, that 
the biggest problem being solved, and the rest of you, you have the opportunity to have your biggest problem solved by just saying, Lord, I'm, I'm ready to surrender my life, and I'm ready to receive that grace and that forgiveness. When, when we understand that our biggest problem's been solved, it, it just puts everything in perspective and it gives us a lot of reason for optimism. And last week, we talked about uh, what, it, what fear, uh, where fear comes from, and, and how contagious fear is, and and how the, the sky is falling mentality uh, is, is so contagious and brings about devastating consequences when we kind of slip into that. And so we just talked about how the Bible can help us overcome fear in some specific ways and doing some specific things. And today what I want us to do is uh, I, I want us to, to look at the reality um, that what can happen is we'll do something like this. We'll, we'll spend two weeks talking about, hey, we don't want to live in fear and pessimism. We want to live in hope and optimism. And we start saying, yeah, yeah, I'm in. I'm all in. And, and then we start going and we take three steps forward and we take two steps back. And, and something will happen. There'll be a news story that hits you. There'll be a family situation that confronts you. There'll be a, some kind of an issue that all of a sudden we go from saying, okay, I'm, I'm going to live that way. I'm going to be filled with hope and optimism. And then we just get hit by something. And it's just like it sucks us back into the tide of fear and pessimism. It pulls us back under and and we can get discouraged in that. And the reality is, is whenever you're trying to build some new habits, whenever you're trying to say, okay, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to train my brain to think this way, and I'm going to train my brain to, to, to do this instead of doing what it has been doing, the reality is, is we can be confronted with something that's called the valley of disappointment. And so I have a, a picture. I want to show you what this valley of disappointment looks like. The, the reality is all of us assume I'm going to start doing something and we have this kind of planned trajectory. It's just, we expect it to be a straight arrow from here and it's just going to keep getting better and better and better. And what usually happens is, is we, we don't have the kind of productivity that we want. We don't experience what we're hoping to experience. We, we think, well, you know, I decided two weeks ago I was going to live with optimism. I decided two weeks ago I was going to be a person of hope. And why do I keep slipping back into this mentality and this, this frame of mind? Um, and what I want us to really talk about today is, is how focus, even though it's a really small thing, that our focus is really, really important where we put our focus on. And so on this, on this picture, you can kind of see... Um, and even as we just keep this up as I talk about this, that um, if you had an ice cube and, and the room was at 25 degrees and you were saying, okay, I need to warm this room up. And, and so you do a lot of activity and you warm the room up to 27 degrees and the ice cube hasn't changed. And then you, you do a lot more activity and you warm it up to 29 degrees and the ice cube hasn't, hasn't changed. And, and at some point, you know, you're, you're working and you're working and you're working and you start thinking, well, I'm, I'm just going to quit. Um, you know, you're in that valley of disappointment. You have not met where your expe expectations, where it should be, um, at kind of that crossing point. And so you just start to think, well, is, is anything I'm doing matter? And what you don't realize is all of your work is being stored up and that it's moving towards a breakthrough moment. And and what'll happen is, is you'll, you'll keep working, you'll keep working, you'll get to 32 degrees, and then you'll get to 33 degrees. And as soon as you get to 33 degrees, that ice cube will start to melt. And you'll think, oh, it's what I did right then. 
that matters. And the reality is, it's what you have been doing all that time that moved the temperature from 25 to 27 to 29 to 32 to 33. When you finally hit that breakthrough moment, and, and then you begin to see the fruit of the efforts that you've been doing. And, and the, the thing is, is we all want the big thing. But we're not willing to sometimes do the small things that work its way towards that big result that we wanted. So I was thinking about um, this passage in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10. It says, Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. That there's just there's some small things that we need to do if we're going to move from being people of fear and pessimism to people of hope and optimism. There's some things that we're going to have to do. There, there's some small steps that we're going to have to take on a regular basis. Um, I, I was thinking about uh, David before, you know, we look at David, we're like, oh man, King David, you're the best king ever. Um, man, he's so much scripture is dedicated to talking about him. I mean, David, he was, he was amazing. He was a man after God's own heart. He slayed a giant. You think, man, I, I want to slay a giant. I've got some giants that I need to slay in my life. And, and, and we all want the big thing, but we don't remember the fact that before David was king, before David was killing giants, before David was all of these things, he was a shepherd boy in a field being faithful with the small stuff. And, and as he was being faithful with the small things, God was preparing him for the big things. And we want to jump right to the big things, but God says, hey, hang in there with the small things so that you're ready for the big things when they come. And I think about uh, Daniel, and, and Daniel uh, was such a person of faith. And even, even this morning we sang about there was another in the fire. And in, uh, in Daniel chapter 4, we read about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and how they're thrown into this fire and, and, and they were able to withstand the flames. There was another with them in the fire. Um, and, and we get to Daniel uh, chapter 6, and we have this story of Daniel in the lion's den. We go like, man, what, what an amazing faith to be thrown into a lion's den and to, to not be overcome with fear and just paralyzed. But we forget that Daniel, three times a day, stopped everything he was doing and spent time in prayer and spent time seeking his heavenly Father. And he built that faith up doing the small things behind the scenes that nobody could see so that one day he could have that faith on a large platform that everybody was able to see. And so I just want to remind us that often it's the small things that no one sees that result in the big things that everything, everyone wants. It's the, it's the, it's the faithfulness in these small things that nobody sees that results in the big things that everybody Wants. And, and as we think about that, I, I want us to think specifically about our focus. And our focus seems small. Like what we choose to focus on seems like a very small, intentional thing, but it is so important. And, and if, if we will choose to focus on the right things, it can change so many things on the back end. And you might not see those results immediately. You might, you might even get discouraged. You're like, well, I'm, I'm doing that. I'm focusing on the right things. I'm focusing on the right things. And, and, and you could get to that place in that valley of discouragement to think, I'm ready to give up. Hang in there. Because as we focus on the right things, God can use that to bring about some amazing things in, in the future. And so if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn with me to Psalm 73. 
Psalm 73. And uh, we're going to spend most of our time in Psalm 73 today. And we're just going to go through this kind of section by section because this is a powerful chapter of Scripture that teaches us how our focus matters so much and how these little pieces of what we focus on can help us move from fear and pessimism into hope and optimism. And so in Psalm 73, beginning at verse 1, it says this, Truly, God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. I mean, isn't that a great start? I mean, it's like, that sounds like a psalm ought to start. And then it takes a hard turn south. And it says this, But as for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping and I was almost gone. For I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. They seem to live such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. They don't have troubles like other people. They're not plagued with problems like everyone else. They wear pride like a jeweled necklace and clothe themselves with cruelty. These fat cats have everything their hearts could ever wish for. They scoff and speak only evil. In their pride, they seek to crush others. They boast against the very heavens. And their words strut throughout the earth. And so the people are dismayed and confused, drinking in all their words. What does God know, they asked. They ask, does the Most High even know what's happening? Look at these wicked people, enjoying a life of ease while their riches multiply. I love the honesty of this chapter. I, I love the fact that there's just this honesty to say, hey, you know what, look, why is it that all of this good stuff is happening uh, to all these people? And, and, and you know what, I know, I know the right answer, the churchy answer is God loves Israel and he loves those people who, you know, I mean, that's the churchy right answer. But as for me, I mean, I, I'm struggling. As for me, I don't understand why it's working out this way. I, I don't get this. As for me, I almost lost my footing is what this says. And so I, before we continue on and, and unpack this a little bit more, I just want to make sure we know who this is talking uh, because I think this matters uh, when we understand who it is uh, that is writing this particular passage. It says at the beginning of Psalm 73, a psalm of Asaph. Um, and you might not know who Asaph is. You might not know the, the magnitude of who he was. But the man behind the story is this guy named Asaph. And if you go back in your Bibles to 1 Chronicles, uh, if you just go backwards, you'll see 2 Chronicles and 1 Chronicles. In 1 Chronicles chapter 16, it, it gives us this little window of who Asaph is. And I just want to take a side trail and just help us know the magnitude of who this person is. So that we can understand why this is such a big deal for him to say, as for me, I almost threw it all away. As for me, I almost quit. As for me, I almost gave up because this didn't seem fair. And Asaph, it says this in 1 Chronicles 16. Um, King David is bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. And the Ark of the Covenant, this is, this is the, the place that before the temple was, was built... The Ark of the Covenant was where God's presence was. It, it, was the, 
It was the space that was the holiest of holies at that time. And uh, it, it, was, it represented God's presence. It represented God's power. And David brings the ark back to Jerusalem. This is what it says. They brought the ark of God and they placed it inside the special tent that David had prepared for it. And they presented burnt offerings and peace offerings to God. And when he had finished his sacrifices, David blessed the people in the name of the Lord. And then he gave every man and woman in all Israel a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins. And David appointed the following Levites to lead the people in worship before the ark of the Lord, to invoke his blessings, to give thanks and to praise the Lord, the God of Israel. Asaph, the leader of this group sounded the symbols. I mean, so here Asaph is appointed to be the leader of all of the worshipers of the whole nation of Israel at the Holy of Holies, uh, this space that is the Ark of the Covenant. I mean, this is a huge deal. This is, this is not just somebody. This is not just one more person. This is a person that carried a huge weight of leadership and responsibility. He was the worship leader of Israel. It goes on a little bit later in verses 37 to 38 of chapter 16. It says, David arranged for Asaph and his fellow Levites to serve regularly before the Ark of the Lord's Covenant, doing whatever needed to be done each day. This group included, and then it goes on and talks about all these other people and 68 other Levites. Um, there's a whole bunch of other passages that I've given you in your notes, and you can read up this week on your own or your small group can look at this um, to, to look at just who Asaph was. But the key that I want us to focus on is he wasn't just in charge of a event. He wasn't just the worship leader for one day. He was in charge of worship for all of Israel around the Ark of the Covenant. He was a heavy hitter when it came time to, to spirituality. This, this was someone who uh, authored uh, 12 Psalms, um, and the Holy Spirit uh, inspired him, and he wrote 12 of the Psalms that we have in Scripture. So he's not only the, the chief worship leader of Israel, he not only wrote uh, 12 chapters of Scripture that, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uh, but he was someone who uh, was referred to in Second Chronicles. Uh, when, when one of the kings is brought in, they say, let's sing a song of Asaph the seer. And so he was a prophet. He was known as someone who who had the, the strong word of the Lord in him. And, and all of this kind of helps us as we look at this passage in Psalm 23 or Psalm 73. So if you go back to that, um, I mean, when you recognize who he is, it, it begins, to, begins to sit down like why this is such a big deal. He says, listen, I'm, I'm almost ready to quit. This, this is the chief worship leader for all of Israel. And he says, I'm, I'm about ready to throw in the towel. I'm about ready to quit. I'm, I'm about ready to, to call it. Because I just feel like it's not fair that there are these people that are out there. And they're just doing whatever they want to do. They're living life the way they want to live life. And the question that he has is not, why do bad things happen to good people? The question that he has is why do good things happen to bad people? And I don't know if you've ever asked that question. I don't know if you've ever wrestled with that. Like, 
why, why does all this good stuff keep happening to all these bad people? Why, that just doesn't seem fair. Why, why is all the good stuff happening to them and I'm the one struggling and I'm the one wrestling and I'm the one who just seems like I just can't catch a break and, and I just, I'm trying to be faithful. I'm trying to do everything right and I'm looking at these people who are living their life the way they want to live life in business who are living their life the way they want to live life with their finances, who are living their life the way they want to with sexuality and, and with popularity and their influence and, and just their life. And they're just doing whatever they want to do. And it just seems like good thing after good thing keeps happening to them. And it just doesn't feel right. It doesn't seem right. And Asaph, the chief worship leader of all of Israel, says, I'm about ready to quit. I, I, am, I got to the place where my feet were slipping. And as for me, I almost lost my footing. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. I don't know if you've ever gotten to the point where pessimism overcame you to this extent. And I, I'm just telling you, we can learn some things from this passage of Scripture because in the midst of all of this, uh, you can, in your notes, see this. Uh, when we're thinking about giving in, number one... Focusing on others will depress us. Focusing on others will depress us. Um, I mean, when you look at all the things that they get away with, when you look at all the things that they're experiencing, when you look at all the things that, that they seem to be living the good life, it, it can be depressing when you focus on other people. Um, and from verse 4... To verse 12. If you have your Bibles and you want to treat your Bible like a life textbook, in my Bible, everywhere the word they or there is, from verse 4 to verse 12, I have it underlined. And I'm just telling you, from verse 4 to verse 12, it is over and over and over. They, 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 they seem to live such painless lives. They don't have troubles. They wear pride. They scoff and speak. They boast. They, it's they, 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 they. And I'm, when you start focusing on other people, it, it will lead you to a place of depression and discouragement. It'll just pull you under. This is, this is part of the problem with social media. And social media can be really good, and it can be used for a lot of good. But one of the problems with social media is everyone else is putting out their best moments and, and all of these uh, experiences. And, and what you can do is you can spend all this time looking on social media, and you can be like, wow, their life is so good. Their life is so great. And we're comparing their highlight reel to our background footage because we know everything that's going on in our life. Now, you're not posting all the bad stuff in your life. You're only posting the really good moments that happen in your life. But everybody else is posting all of these good moments. And you start looking around and you start thinking, man, everybody's life is better. And everybody's finances is better. And everybody's you know, um, health is better. And all of these things. And, and we start to get depressed and we start to get discouraged because we're looking at them, 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 them. Them. And then there's this shift that takes place for Asaph. And in Psalm 73, verses 13 and 14, you see this shift. There's a, just, it's, it's immediate, and it moves from them, 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 them. And it says this in verse 13. Did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? I Get nothing but trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. And, and so now he like turns from one extreme to like they, 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 they. 
and all of a sudden it's just me, 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 I, what's in it for me, what about this and what about that, and, and in your notes you can just write this down, that focusing on self will disappoint us. When, when you start looking at yourself, when you start saying, well, what's in it for me, what's, what do I have coming to me, and, and we have all these expectations um, and we look at the world around us that are kind of getting away with all this stuff, and that can be depressing and discouraging. But, but then we get to this place where we're, we're looking at ourselves, and we can be disappointed because we think, you know what? I'm, I'm disappointed because I'm doing all this right stuff, and in my mind, because I do these things, God owes me that. Because I did this, God owes me something. And, and we've bought in to something that's it's not in the Bible. Jesus never said this. Jesus actually said that in this world, there will be many troubles. Jesus told us to pick up our cross and follow him. But we've bought into this very American notion that if I follow Jesus, I'm going to be really healthy all the time. I'm always going to get the promotion at work. Um, I'm, I'm always going to have everything that it's just going to go good. And then when those things don't happen, when, when there is a hardship, when there is a trial, when there is a difficulty, when there is a health crisis, when those things happen, we get disappointed and we say, well, did I do all this for nothing? Did, but I, I did all of this, God, and because I did this, you owe me that. And we start focusing on right now, we start focusing on I, 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 I. And we go from being depressed when we're looking at other people to just being discouraged and disappointed when we're looking at ourselves and what we have coming to us. And then verse 15 through 17, it says this. If I had really spoken this way to others, I would have been a traitor to your people. So I tried to understand why the wicked prosper. But what a difficult task it is. And so Asaph's saying, listen, I, if, I, if I would have said out loud all the stuff that I was thinking and feeling, it would have been really problematic. I mean, he's the, remember, this is the chief worship leader for all of Israel. If I would have said out loud the stuff that was going on in my head, if I would have said out loud the things that was going on in my heart, it, it could have been a problem. But I just, I just tried to discern this and figure this out. And then it says this in verse 20. Uh, I'm sorry, in verse um, 17, it says, Then... I went into your sanctuary, O God, and I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. I mean, he says, I, I moved from focusing on other people, I moved from focusing on myself, and I went into your sanctuary and I began to turn my attention upward. I began to turn my eyes to the Lord, and when I did, everything began to become clear. Verse 18 says, Truly, you put them on a slippery path and send them sliding over the cliff to destruction. In an instant, they're destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. When you arise, O Lord, you will laugh at their silly ideas as a person laughs at dreams in the morning. So focusing on other people can depress us. Because we just start to think, man, everything's going good in their life. Why isn't it going good in mine? Focusing on ourselves can, can discourage us and can disappoint us because we think, you know what? I didn't get what I had coming to me. I, I, didn't, I didn't get enough that I thought I deserved. But when we begin to turn our attention to God 
And, and Asaph discovered this. When, when he entered into the sanctuary and began to put his focus on God, he began to see this. In your notes, you can write this down. Focusing on God will give us an eternal perspective. An eternal perspective. Um, this, this nanosecond in the perspective of eternity, this nanosecond of the average American life is, you know, 75 to 85 or 95 or 105, however long you want to, you know, old just keeps shifting. The older you get, you keep going, eh, old people are always 10 or 20 years older than you if you didn't know that. Um, so you just, you talk to some, no matter how old you get, old people are always like 10 or 20 years older than you. But uh, wherever you're at, you know, this nanosecond that we call our life in the perspective of eternity it is the, the difficulties and the trials and the hardships that we face in this little blip of time compared to all of eternity is nothing. And, and what Asaph discovered is when he began to put his eyes up and focus on eternal things, all of a sudden the, the popularity and the wealth and the pleasure and the influence and all of the temporary things that he looked around and saw other people flourishing in he realized, you know what, those don't matter as much as being in relationship with God. He says this in verse 21 through 22. Then I realized that my heart was bitter and I was all torn up inside. I was so foolish and ignorant. I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you. And so in your notes, you can just write down one of the other things that putting our eyes on God does is it helps us see who we really are. It helps us uh, understand who, who we are that uh, he says, man, man, God, now I see now that I'm putting my attention on you in eternity. I, I realize how stupid I must have looked. I, I realize how whiny and a complainer I must have. Been. And it was almost like I was this beast. And you could just picture like an animal who's out in the field and is just gorging themselves on this great grass. And they're like, yeah, this is good. And just gorging themselves and gorging themselves. And they have no idea that they're just getting fattened up for the slaughter that is on the way. And, and the, the people that are from a distance know that. But the, the cow that's out there is just eating and eating and eating and enjoying life, having no idea there's something really bad coming. And he says, listen, I, I must have seemed like one of those beasts to you, God. I must have looked like one of those beasts to you in that perspective. And I was so focused on my immediate desires. I was so focused on my immediate pleasure that I missed the consequences of eternity. And, and I realize now, as I put my perspective on you, that those people that are seeming to win and they're, they're seeming to have heaven here on earth, that they better enjoy that because that's the only heaven they're going to ever experience. And I realize now that I need to put my hope in you and not in these other things. And so he goes on and he says, um, yet, in verse 23, yet I still belong to you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny. And so in your notes, you can just write this down, that focusing on God does, it not only kind of helps us have an eternal perspective, it not only shows us who we really are and our need for the Lord, but it also shows us who He really is, and it shows us what we really have. Uh, there's this clear picture of God, 
and this clear picture of just how broken we are and how dependent we are on him and the value of being in relationship with him, not just in what he can give to us. And, and it closes with this in verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. And I, I would just pause right there and just say, could you say that? I, let me read that again. I desire you more than anything on earth. My health may fail. My spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. Those who desert him will perish, for you destroy those who abandon you. But as for me, how good it is to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my shelter, and I will tell everyone about the wonderful things you do. And I, I just think this is a powerful, powerful passage. Asaph the worship leader for all of Israel. Asaph, who, who wrote 12 chapters of Scripture through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Asaph, who was someone who was revered and said, I, I love the honesty of the Bible and I love the honesty of Asaph because his honesty here gives people like you and me permission to say, well, if Asaph can talk this way, I mean, if Asaph is struggling with some things, if Asaph is saying, you know what, I've almost quit, I've almost given up, I, I, I mean, I am just so discouraged to seeing everybody else win, and, and I'm going through all of this, and, and I sometimes look at my own life, and I think, man, I'm just so disappointed, because I, you would think, I did all of this, God, I deserve that, and, and just the recognition that if Asaph can feel those feelings, it's okay for us to feel those feelings. It's okay for us to voice those feelings. But then we have got to do what Asaph did. We've got to turn our attention off of other people because that will always lead us down bad roads. We've got to turn our attention off of ourselves. It'll always lead to disappointment. And we've got to turn our attention to God to get an eternal perspective because when we do that, it just changes everything because then we begin to realize that the greatest reward is not the stuff that God gives me. The greatest reward is the fact that, that we get God, that we have a relationship with him, that, that we can be in relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, that he actually wants to be in a relationship with us. And so just two questions for you to ponder as we close this morning. Number one, do I measure God's blessings by the prosperity of life or my closeness to him? How do you measure whether or not you're prosperous? Do you, do you measure God's blessings and saying, I'm living the blessed life because God's done this for me and he's done this for me and this, this, and this? It, it, do you measure the blessed life, the good life, the, the life uh, of being uh, just kind of abundantly blessed by all the stuff that God has done, or is it because you're in relationship with him and you're measuring it by the closeness and you think, man, I'm so much closer to God this month than I was last month. And I'm so blessed that, that, that I'm so much closer to the Lord, or is it all about the stuff that he gives? And then the next question is this, how is God a daily focus in my life? Now, again, the whole point of this is it's the small stuff that matters, right? It's, it's the small things that add up to create the big things that we want. And so we, we, we don't think about the small things. We think about the big things, but it is, it is the small things that matter. 
And our focus and our intention uh, really, really matters in this area. And so I would just ask you, how is it that you're focusing on God on a daily basis? And, and I, we have talked about this a lot in the past. And uh, I, as I was preparing uh, for this, and I, I was thinking about the fact that there are 1,440 minutes in every day. 1,440 minutes in every day. And, and what would it look like if we just said, you know what, I, I'm going to choose to at the beginning of every day, give God the first 1% of my day. And I'm going to choose to, as a starting place, and I know some of you, you might say, well, you know, I don't really read the Bible. I don't really have a dedicated prayer time. I don't, I don't have devotion time. What if we all, maybe those of you who've never done that, maybe those of you who you, you maybe took three steps forward and then you took two steps back and you started some things and then you said, what if we all just recommitted to saying, I'm going to daily start my day by focusing on the goodness of God. I'm going to start my day by focusing on God's blessings. And I'm going to start my day hearing from the Lord and spending time with the Lord. And I'm going to give God 1% of my day at the very beginning of my day, 15 minutes. And if we would just give God the first 15, how could God then help us move from a people of fear and pessimism to a people of hope and optimism because we're changing our perspective to an eternal perspective. Now, I'm not telling you that 15 minutes is the, the ending finish line. I'm telling you that's the starting gate, all right? We, we need to grow from that, um, but it's a great place for us to start. It's a great place for us to recommit. It's a great place for us to say, you know what? Um, I need this. Uh, when, when I don't do this, everything begins to be focused on a lot of things. I start to look at other people. I start to look at myself and what I deserve and what I should get. But I need to be focusing on the Lord and the eternal things that could come from that. And so 1% of your day, 15 minutes at the beginning to say, God, I'm going to intentionally choose to focus on you. I believe if we do that, I believe if we do that, God will help us move from people of fear and pessimism to people of hope and optimism. All right. Would you bow your heads with me? I want to pray with us before we close in worship this morning. Father, I thank you for your uh, blessings uh, of relationship. Lord, there are many who are here this morning who are facing all kinds of hardships and toils and trials. And, and, and there are so many things that we just think, God, why, why does it seem so difficult sometimes? Why does it seem so hard sometimes? And, and we get discouraged and we begin to put our attention and our focus in places that uh, don't build us up but tear us down. And so today, Lord, I'm thankful for Asaph. I'm thankful for his honesty and his transparency to help us understand that when we focus on others, uh, there is just a depression that can come and discouragement that can come. And when we focus on ourselves, we can be so disappointed by the outcomes that we get. But Lord, when we put our attention and our focus on you, we're able to have a, a perspective that is eternal and, and that we're able to recognize that it is you that is the reward. It's you that's the gift. We're grateful for your presence in our life when things are difficult and things are hard. I pray that you would pour out your presence and your encouragement on your church today, even as we sing. 
We ask these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Let's stand together and let's worship the Lord. God is good, and we'll sing of his goodness. And his goodness is not just the stuff that he gives. It is his presence. It is relationship, and, and we measure that in those things. I want you to hear this passage as we leave from Galatians 6. Verse 7 says, Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. As you go from here today, my prayer is, is that when you find yourself in that valley of disappointment, that you will not give up, that you'll hang in there, that you'll keep doing the things that God has called you to do. You'll keep focusing where God wants you to focus so that you can have that moment of breakthrough. And one day you'll reap the reward and that harvest. Go in his peace. You're dismissed.